McNulty stunning for Emilio to get up above Cargill and find Bennett. It's into the box. McNulty cut back for Roberts. It's Gary Roberts no, from Bosby. are leading in the fourth round of the FA Cup. Mark McNulty, but a good chance by Doyle for McNulty on the edge. Mark McNulty oh, short yes. for Bosby. Smashes it past McCormack. One by Doyle. Finished by the returning Mark McNulty. First left blood for Bosby. They're in dreamland early here at Bratton. There's a through ball to Jamal Lowe. Jamal Lowe's onside. The flag stayed down. Jamal Lowe. Nonchalant. Fantastic. Brilliant. Pompey will be promoted at this rate. That is it. Pompey are champions. They won League Two in the most dramatic of circumstances. The PO4 podcast with Hugh Bunce. Proud to be Pompey. Hi Pompey fans and welcome to PO Forecast episode 215. Well after a clinical display against Reading, Pompey's promotion push keeps on going. Join the podcast today is Andy Mitchmore. How are you Andy? Hello buddy. Yeah, I'm okay. I'm going to try and be a bit more composed than I was last week when I had a slight rant about my football related anxieties. I'm calm this week. I'm composed until probably two thirds of the way through the podcast when we start talking about the league table. But yeah, not too bad. Surviving work. And th- that's essentially it at the moment. This is the survival point of semester. So uh, we move. How are you? Yeah, mate, I'm, I'm pretty good, to be honest. I've recovered from the fluey sort of cough yuckiness I had last week. So I missed the podcast. I'm 100% blaming Freddie. Because Freddie was around my house for a sort of house party I held with Rob as well. Shout out, Rob. And basically, Freddie gave everyone a cough. He stayed at my house. And it's once again, every time he comes over, everyone gets sick. I don't know if it's just a, I don't know if it's just sort of like a deliberate thing. He goes out, catches a cold, and then brings it round to my beautiful Mikasa, Sukasa approach to life. But Freddie, let's bring him in, Freddie Webb, the cold giver. I don't know why you're blaming me for this, because my immune system's always brilliant. I, mean, I, I can't remember the last time I was dreadfully sick. It was probably last year when I was at spurs away and staying at my house as well should we just put that out yeah yeah that that was legitimate because i was legitimately ill but that time i was fine so i don't know what it was i literally had no symptoms beforehand and then all of a sudden i was a bit fluey afterwards so god knows maybe it's an environmental thing here if it happens at your house it might be environmental so something around your house is making freddie ill then he gives it to you i won't go into the graphics of what happened for tottenham but should we say that there's definitely not the case that it's anything to do with my house? I said to Freddie, if you're actually that sick, mate, don't turn up. And he was like, no, nah, I'm all good, mate. I'm all good. I want to go Spurs away. Yeah, I'm up for it. Turns up, he, he, was, he was sick as a dog, mate. No, that was the no, Spurs away. I was genuinely the illest I've been in ages. I but, don't remember you being sick on that. No, no I was horrendous. Oh. But, 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 this, but, but this last time I was fine. So I think it was just coincidence on that point. But no, aside from that, I've been all right. Um, had to record a video of a Spanish ship sailing into Portsmouth this morning in the torrential rain and winds of like 30 miles an hour or whatever it was. But yeah, I got some good video, but it's drenched through. So that was, was that's basically the only interesting thing that's happened to me since the last pod, really. Was that a specific Spanish ship or did you just have to wait until it, a it Spanish was a, ship It was arrived? a naval frigate. So it was... It was ESPS Santa Maria that was coming in. because oh, It's one of my favourite ESPSs. Yeah, literally. There's one of six of them, and they're all off to the NATO mission in the North Sea, where some ports of ships have gone. So, 
Can you name was, any of the other five? No. The only ones I know of that class are ESPS Santa Maria and ESPS Reina Sophia. And I only know that one because that was the ship that came in before the, the other one. So, yeah. Any people? Any people who are in the navy now are literally slating us for our lack of yeah, literally well, ship well, knowledge. Yeah, I, I I joined the naval enthusiasts who were watching the ship go in in the pissing rain. So yeah, good stuff. That was literally the, the most interesting thing I did with my week, really. Yeah. Apart I'm from celebrating Freddy, the Reading win, you've not picked up on the Navara or the Canarius. I'm I'm pretty disappointed in you for that. Uh, I'm really quickly scanning a Wikipedia page. Santa Maria was the first one. So we've got the Santa Maria, the Victoria, the Numancia, the Reina Sofia, the Navarra, and the Canarius. And they are all commissioned in the late 80s, early 90s. So, yes, uh, but, but only two of them have visited ports of recently, so those are the only ones that matter. I'm sure that's the view of the Spanish Navy. That's the view of the ports of uh, crowd listening. So there you go. Shipping, ship enthusiasts, Navy people, there's a bit of a... Uh, a soundbite of our lack of knowledge, even though Freddie's pretty much now the new defence correspondent of the news. So don't know what that says about your paper, Fred, but we'll just move on. So wow, let's get brilliant. started now. <laughs> <laughs> this is Portsmouth, Hugh. People went to Spain from this city, so it's oh, very, God. very important. Let's get started with what's going on. So first of all, we are going to review the game against Reading. Following on from that, we're going to give you an injury update that's just come out today. And then we put a question out to you guys. And thank you so much everyone who messaged in. We really appreciate it. It makes the show. And what we said is, can Pompey break the Charlton curse and push on for towards promotion? And finally, we spoke to Louis from Charlton Live to preview the game on Saturday away at the Valley. Right, let's go. Just before we get into what we said, let's have a quick listen to what Matt from Elm Park Royal said to sum up his thoughts, I suppose, on the game on Saturday. Matt Lansley here from the Elm Park Royals Reading FC podcast. Reading lost 4-1 at the weekend to Portsmouth. Um, you go to top of the table, it's always going to be a hard game. You know, I didn't really come into this game expecting um, points. We were obviously on a good run coming into it, but, you know, you're going away to top of the, top of the league and our situation is always going to be tough. It was not feeling, though, leaving. Obviously, Losing 4-1, I didn't really think I'd be as positive leaving. It was quite a, I wouldn't say strange game, but probably frustrating um, because I think for the first 35 minutes, you know, Reading really actually played very well. It was probably some of the best football we've actually played all season. Um, that being said, could have been one or two nil up potentially on another day. Um, you know, just didn't take those chances. That that miss from Makaru, it was about three yards out, flicked it over over the bar. That was really kind of one of the key ones on another day. You think he sticks that away. Um and it might be a different game, you don't know. But certainly after after that first goal that changed the game. It's cliche to say that goals change games, but I think certainly in the case of the weekend it did. Um, you know, after that Portsmouth seemed to settle in a lot more. We still, I think, troubled Portsmouth quite a bit. But, you know, I, I think a lot of fans were frustrated, obviously, at David Button. I uh, I said on the podcast when I previewed the game with, uh, with, with, with you guys that Button had been better of late. The bar was monstrously low. Sadly, I think that bar has gone back to monstrously low again um, for Button performances because you could probably say he could have probably arguably done better on all four, certainly two of them, um, of the goals he conceded. But Portsmouth, I thought, were very good. Um, you know, they're everything you expect of a top-of-the-table 
top of the table side, clinical, very good on the counter. Um, you know, whenever you got the ball and moved it forwards um, after that first 35 minute spell, you were very, very effective, very threatening, you know? So I think um, that th- there's a lot to be hopeful, I think as a Portsmouth fan right now, um, w- will it get you over the line come the end of the season? Only time will tell, I guess, you know, you've got two other very strong teams up there, but certainly going to be in the running. Um, I think, for Reading, you know, if you don't take your chances when you're away to, to top of the table, you're going to get a result like that. I, I think, you know, you can talk about the stats and the XG of the game and everything, but, you know, Reading had their chances to uh, really make a game of that in the first 35 minutes. Couldn't take it. Um, so, yeah, ultimately not overly disappointed because it was always going to be hard getting a getting a point or even, dare I say, three points obviously away at Portsmouth. But, yeah, I think, you know, we can, we can be content and um, just look for the bigger games this season, which ultimately isn't going to be Portsmouth away. That's not going to define our season this this year it's going to be the likes of games against Port Vale, Shrewsbury, Carlisle away that we've all got coming up. Um, so yeah, so hopefully they the the boys can bounce back and can um, keep up that that first thirty five minutes for for a ninety minute spell against those teams, and we can uh, look forward to hopefully a positive end of the season at Reading. Thanks, Matt. We really appreciate that. Andy, you actually managed to get this clip, Mister Organised now, scouting internationally doing preview scouting before games, getting getting sound bites, you know. You're pretty much hosting the podcast now as well as looking after your hamster whilst doing it. I mean, with your immune system, I think I'm hosting about as much as you are at the moment with your permanent sick note. Yeah, uh, so it's one of the many hats I apparently now take on for the pod, um, as well as, yeah, General League One correspondent. So last night, just before we get on to, to Matt's comments, last night's split screen in Cambridge Bolton and Reading Port Vale. I mean, it's... It's an important job. Now AFCON's over and I've not got to watch Tanzania games. I just have so much spare time on my hands. So, yeah, filling it, doing uh, League One research and collecting post-match thoughts from the the guests who have been doing previews. So we need a jingle for that at some point to opposition view or something. I mean, but, but better and maybe with a tune. Anyway, yeah, so I think Matt's pretty fair with his comments, to be honest with you. I think you would not find a Pompey fan who would disagree that Reading were the better team for the first, what, 30, 35 minutes. And we were pretty lucky to escape without going a goal down. And we were just sort of sat there hoping that Reading couldn't maintain that for the full 90. And they didn't, which is just as well. I think in the preview, Matt was talking about possible fatigue because they'd had an away game at Fleetwood on the Tuesday before. And I'm wondering if that was one of the reasons that they weren't able to sustain such a high speed of play for the full 90 minutes. But yeah, I think I think Matt's comments were pretty fair, to be honest with you. I had a listen earlier on and, and it's a pretty, pretty good synopsis of the game. And if you don't take your chances when you're on top in these games, you get punished. Yeah, you spoke there about Reading and not being able to keep that press and that, that intensity, sorry, that they had started off with. And they did really start off with some real intensity in this game it was quite funny I was just when you're watching the game and when you listen back to the commentary Guy Whittingham mentioning that it looked like a championship side they definitely look like the best side to come to Fratton Park for the first 30-35 minutes of this game then as he starts making a really good run through the middle there's a lot of space for him to run into at this stage and he gets a shot away just outside the box he you know parries it down shoots there Norris manages to get down it's a good save as well and then he manages to save the rebound. Andy, Norris made five 
decent saves in this game. How important was him him to get in this win as well as the attacking players we're going to come on to later? Yeah, 100%. I mean, even before the chance you've said there, you know, there was, it's like after 11 seconds or something, Reading hit a shot over the bar. And I was thinking, oh, this reminds me of the first 11 seconds against Chesterfield when Norris had a clearance closed down. And we all know how that game went in the end. So you're hoping it didn't sort of set the tone for the full afternoon. But yeah, in terms of Norris, I mean, the amount of stick he's picked up, I think, utterly unfairly over the, the course of particularly the last couple of months. I mean, I've I think we've descend, defended him every hilt at the hilt uh, uh, on every occasion possible because I think he's been such a good such a good signing for us. Just has picked up so many points, and he is executing the type of game that Messino clearly wants his goalkeeper to be able to execute in terms of those diagonal balls. I think it was one of the goals in this game. Was it the first goal that? or the second goal, where it's a clearance from him. We'll come on to it. It's a clearance from him that gets sort of cushion-headed down by, I think, Bishop, the first goal. So his distribution, that diagonal that he plays with his left foot that creates a bit of a different angle, has created so much for us this season. His composure on the ball, I think it was a Cruyff turn he did again before, well, it was quite early on in this game, that scared the life out of me, to be honest with you, but he executed it well. And yeah, his, his saves in the first half kept us in the game here. He saved the one-on-one as well later in the first half. I think if we concede first in this game, it's such a different rest of the game. I think if we concede first, we don't come back and win, you know, 4-1, I don't think. Because I think that that goal sort of galvanises Reading even further and you potentially, you either see them able to carry that energy through more or they go 1-0 up and they change their shape to try and see the game out and it becomes less open and less easy for us to score. I mean, four goals in this case. So, yeah, I I wouldn't go as far to say his saves kept us in the game, but I think they are the foundations that allowed us to drive on second half and and score those four goals unanswered before, you know, Reading get a goal back at the end, unfortunately. Yeah, and you spoke about that sort of kick from Norris. I think it's the first goal, 35 minutes in, Paddy Lane, obviously. Norris plays a nice kick out wide. It's kept in by Kamara, who basically plays a 1-2 with Lang. And then, obviously, then Kamara picks the ball up. He starts driving it inside. He's been really good, isn't he? His, his execution of just sort of running into space, really sort of taking the play against defenders has been excellent. And we'll come on to more of that in the, later on. Comes inside and he plays another ball through to Paddy Lane. And those two really seem to know where each other are. Gets it to Paddy Lane, who shoots hard, low, into the court at the near post. Maybe should have done a bit better. But... I think the, the corner is generous on David Button, but we'll we'll go with it. We'll go with it. Into the corner, uh, and and it's a goal. I want to say, Freddie, about the chemistry of the three behind Bishop. They're just taking it to another level now, aren't they, with Callum Lang in there as well, Paddy Lane, Kamara. What, what can you say about this sort of chemistry of that three behind Bishop and just turning our attack into much more of a, a potent force? Yeah, it definitely has. And Messino came out in the news recently and said that he was incredibly pleased that Pompey were able to put more teams to the sword recently. Obviously, we still had wins. We still had wins against Fleetwood and Port Vale beforehand, but they were 1-0s. They were quite scrappy. But in the recent set of games against Cambridge United, Northampton scored multiple goals. Goals from across that three behind Bishop as well. All three of them are very fluid. They look into space. They're always running for each other to make sure one of them's an option for a pass. They're all very aggressive. They're all closing down the defenders at every opportunity, and they're all technically very good players, so they can pick out a ball or have a shot. There seems to be a very nice 
balance between all of them. And Pompey needed this goal early because beforehand, we mentioned Reading's press. In the first quarter of an hour, Reading had 4.5 passes allowed per defensive action. So that press was intense on, on the back four. And Pompey's PPDA for the same time was 22.7. So that showed how under the cosh they actually were. And it was a lovely bit of play between Nang and Kamara. And we're going to talk about Kamara more in a little bit because there's three assists in this game. Creatively excellent. He seems to have lost that little doubt in his head about taking players on and running into space. He was able to run space brutally and then find Lane exactly where he was, right on the edge of the penalty area. Yes, it's incredibly poor goalkeeping by Button and obviously he'd want to have it back. I wouldn't use incredibly poor for this because if you're using incredibly poor for this, I'm not sure what you're going to describe to use Bishop's goal. I think you need to save your hyperbole for later on. Oh, I can. Uh, I'm a journalist, mate. I can think of worse hyperbole than that. Don't worry. <laughs> you're like Microsoft Word. Right-click synonym. I know what you're doing. Oh yeah, thesaurus.com. Obviously, yeah, exactly. Leave it in, the tab yeah. in the corner. But no, his, his goalkeeping was incredibly poor. However, Lane was able to hit it on target, low with power. So at the very least, you're forcing the, he was forcing the goalkeeper to make a save, which he clearly didn't. And yeah, that dug Pompey out of a hole. And thankfully, Reading weren't able to keep up that intensity they had in the first half an hour. But because of that goal, we're going to bring the game back since all three of us are here. We're going to play Guess the XG and Andy puts his bovril down in disgust to try and figure out what the XG of this goal is. Andy puts his bovril down to load the goal up on YouTube because I've not watched it back today. So that's why Andy's (laughs) putting his bovril down. But thank you for drawing attention to what I'm having as a drink this week. I know that's an important part of the listener, um, listener base. So I just wanted to address one thing, Freddie, before you do this. Um, who was it? Someone sent in some feedback complaining that they had to like skip past guess the XG because they didn't like it or go on to 1.5 speed. And my response is, if I have to live it, you damn well have to live it as well. So to get to the point, what is the expected goals or the quality of chance for Paddy Lane's goal in Pompey's 4-1 win against Reading? Now, Andy's looking at the goal. I've seen it back many a times because I wanted to watch the celebration over and over again because I absolutely loved it. I don't think any of these chances are particularly going to be a particularly high XG. I, d- I just don't. I think because of the angle, where he is, I'm going to go quite low and we'll see if Andy agrees, but let- maybe there'll be a bit of a disparity this time in well, our you're, predictions. You're I'm going to go first because you went first last time. Is that fair? Or you're welcome to go first if you want, but if it's a disadvantage, I'm happy to go first. I'm just going to say it now. I'm going to go with... 0.15. Did you see me mouth along with you? No, I didn't. I, I was mouthing along. Freddie, did you see? I was. You're on mute, Fred. I was mouthing no, I, along. I, I was. I was looking at the XG table. I was too busy right. looking at that. Well, look at the video back, and you'll see me mouthing along with Hugh, going 0.15. That's literally the same. Can we? Well, oh, we're not allowed to go for the same then. Well, it would be quite boring if you went for the same answer. You can but... go for the same. Why not? You yeah, can... yeah, you can go for the same, and it will, will, will be. Well, I feel like it, and then I feel like if I change after I've heard Hughes, it's not fair if I win because then I've changed my answer based on what he did, which we're not really meant to do. For guess the XG. All right, Freddie. Big we reveal. Will, we will draw it out, XG? shall we? Go on then. What is we'll the draw, XG? We'll draw it out. What a this segment's now 
gone because of that. But there we I are. I think I might have just broken the game, which is excellent news. This might be the end of Guess the XG. <laughs> okay, I'm now changing it. Andy, you need to give a prediction. Bastard. Are you serious? Smug. Too smug. Of course I am. You're so smug about that. Give a prediction. Make it different. Not your pretend mouth along. Let's just get it out there. What is your actual prediction? 0.14. Love that. Take it home. Go on then. What is it, Fred? Right. So Andy's 0.14 to Hugh's 0.15. Andy is the closest by the narrowest of margins. Ah. Because by the why, barest of margins, yeah, literally. Good because why scouts gave it as a 0.09 chance simply because it was struck at range and it was at the near post, which the goalkeeper probably should have covered. But mm. there we are. I'll, but that doesn't get factored in, Fred, does it? Where the it ball do, goes, it, doesn't it, get factored it, it in. Doesn't, it should be where... it, was, it was hit from an angle, yeah. far away. Those are the main, those are the main, you know, factors behind it. But yeah, I'll. Update the scoreboard. Well, Hugh, the smugger becomes the smuggy. So in your face, biatch. I'll take that. I'll take that. Should have taken the draw, my friend. Should have taken the draw. Let's just before the end of this uh, first half, then let's get back to the game because Bigness and Reading fans who think that Shaughnessy should have been sent off prior to the goal when he got a yellow card, it sort of jumps up for it. Is it an NFL tackle and should he be sent off for it? I barely even remember the chance, to be honest. Um, but from Vague memory watching the highlights back. I don't think so. I think it would have been just incredibly soft for the yellow card there, to be honest. But then again, we've seen referees at this level give anything, so who am I to judge? I mean, it's a flailing arm. It's a clothesline, essentially. It's not intentional. My bigger issue with it was that the referee played on, played on. A like Reading played on, and then the referee only stopped the game when we won the ball back and broke. So as soon as we start breaking and we go past that point with the injury, suddenly it's serious enough to stop the game. If it's serious enough to stop the game and it's a head injury, you stop the game that second. You don't wait for the chance to go. Wait for us to break and then stop the game. I thought that was quite weak refereeing. I mean, if it's a really bad tackle, then stop the game immediately. It's a head injury, red card, which I don't think it was. Or if it's a head injury, you stop the game, give me yellow. I don't, I don't know. It just seemed like weak refereeing. I don't think it's a red, but I think the referee refed it really poorly situationally. I think I kind of agree with that. I kind of agree with that. Let's go on to the second half because that goal sort of changed the momentum of the game a little bit, didn't it? And getting to the second half, it only takes Pompey four minutes to score. Moxon does well to, to find Kamara, who again gets into good space. or really cause them problems in this game. Gets it down to the side. He's got two players on him. And what I've noticed a lot with Kamara is he sort of drags players, you know, sucks players into him, which creates more space. He gets there. He pulls the ball back to Marlon Pack, who has actually a little bit more to do than some people give him credit for here because that little touch, to instead of crossing it, to skip inside before he shoots, sells the defender, doesn't it? And it's a lovely finish. I was trying to see how he hits it. Sort of on, the, on his side foot, hurls it into the corner almost. And it's 2-0. Pack and Moxon really grew into this game as a partnership, didn't they? And what I want to know is, how do you guys feel about them going into the run-in together? And did it give you a bit more confidence that they could be a pair, really, that can really gel and push Pompey forward to, you know, to get promoted? I had some reservations at first when Moxon came on after Lowry's injury. He, he didn't have a bad game by any means, but he didn't put his stamp on the game. 
and I had initial worries of the player of Mac and Mo- Pack and Moxon being quite similar. But I was glad that both of them grew into it and were able to fill in for each other. So when one of the midfielders went forward, the other was backwards. Both of them were putting their tackles in properly. Both of them having a range of passing. Both of them contributing to the play in some of these goals as well, which was a big thing. I know probably don't have a lot of option with what midfielders they're going to have in the running, but at least in this game, the pair were able to weather the storm of Reading to start with, able to grow into it a little bit more, were able to be a bit more creative and support the, the front three behind Bishop. And yeah, pa- a pack wound back the clock a little bit and looked like a midfielder in his early 20s. Skipping in, bringing the ball onto his right foot, and then it was a lovely finish with his side foot, being able to curl it pass button into the corner. Yeah, lovely stuff. And it was mentioned in previous pods that Moxon was able to be that proper box-to-box midfielder and was able to impact all sides of the pitch. And uh, if he can do that, then he should be able to um, form that partnership with Pat pretty well. This is me on to the next goal then because Moxon's involved in it again and Reading sort of trying to get the ball moving, try and get the momentum back they had, I suppose, in the first 30 minutes of this game. They try and take a quick free kick and Moxon does really well. He reads that, he intercepts it, gets the ball down again to Kamara, who, you know, gets another assist in this game. He lays the ball through to Lang, who still has a, a lot to do. And I'd guess the XG in this one, Freddie, we're not going to do a whole segment on this, is pretty similar, I'd say. But Lang again gets the ball. He started on fire for us, hasn't he, really? And just rifles it into the corner. Andy, what are you saying about Lang and his performance in this game, he just looks, you just can't, you can't not love the man, can you? No, I mean, my first takeaway is that opposition teams at Fratton Park are terrible at these little short free kicks from what I've seen in the last week or so. There's two goals we've been at, like, not this goal wasn't a gift by any stretch. I mean, the Northampton one as well, there was a lot of work to do after we'd won the ball back, but that's, as a Reading coach or fan, you're just, you're fuming at that, aren't you, really? Giving the ball away that quickly from a a free kick you've tried to rush. And yeah, in terms of Lang, I mean, it's difficult to talk about him without just using cliches, but he just looks class. Uh, I don't think that was ever in doubt. Like Wigan fans, you know, gave generally really positive reviews of him. And I think he's just, it didn't sound like he was really enjoying things up in the North. No offence, Wet Freddie, I'm sure the North is a lovely place, very friendly people, but he wasn't having a good time up there by all accounts. And what we want to see is him just playing with a bit of freedom and enjoying his football. And it looks like he very much is, in ter- just in terms of the number of assists and goals he's picked up in, what, four games? It's, yeah, it's brought a spark to the side where there was a bit of a a slump in terms of creativity and excitement after that Christmas dip. It's just brought something a little bit fresh. And I think he's bringing the best out of Kamara as well in terms of their link-up play. And we just look dangerous. I mean... That front line of, let's say you've got Lane, Lang, Kamara and either Bishop or Yangi at nine, there's no team in the division that's not going to scare, I don't think. like Because the four of them, or the five of them, including one of the nines not playing at any one point, they can break at speed at any time and punish you. We've seen it, what, three times in the last three weeks or three times in the last two weeks. And you talked about Kamara creating... Uh, sort of people doubling up on him, which opens up, by definition, space on the pitch. And in, in one case in this game, it was Pack that took advantage of that. But I think that's benefited Lang as well, where he's played that inside role a bit, 
that's why we saw some joy against Oxford in the second half when Lang came on, was because he created different angles and a different problem for the, the Oxford defence. And in that game, it created a bit more space for Kamara. But in other games, Kamara's getting people doubling up on him and it's creating space for Lang. So whichever player opposition teams are doubling up on and concentrating on, the other player is fast enough to be taking advantage of the space it creates. So it's not the same threat every time, which is also really reassuring. Uh, so the sort of the TLDR of that is, uh, yeah, he's really good, isn't he? Reading might think they're a little bit unlucky because Lewis Wing has a free kick which cannons off the bar and bounces out. But, I mean, it's a great free kick and Lewis Wing scored another great goal, actually, the other day against Port Vale. So he was obviously got that in his locker, as we say. We know that because a lot of people, well, wanted to sign him, supposedly, in Jan. But what I wanted to focus on, actually, was Sean Raggett's tackle because credit where credit's due, and I know it was given as a foul. I thought that was a great challenge. You know, Norris gives the ball away. People didn't see it back. And, you know, he just tries to play it out quickly. gets intercepted. And Raggett's positioning in this. And, you know, I gave a bit of criticism for how he positioned himself against Oxford and how he didn't come out to close the ball down. But in this one, he's, his positioning's great. And he comes out. It's a solid challenge. It's a good challenge. He gets the ball. You just got to give credit where credit's due there for Sean Raggett for being in the right place and executing so well. Yeah. Again, another refereeing decision we disagree with. That's a couple in a couple of referees in a row that I don't think have had excellent games in matches we've been involved in. Thankfully, again, this didn't cost us with the the free kick coming down off the bar and bouncing off the line. Sort of small margins, isn't it? You compare that to like the one we conceded against. Uh, who was it the other day? I, these games blur into each other very quickly. Where uh, it was at Cambridge, where the ball just crossed the line. Yeah, I mean, it's an excellent tackle. There's, it's not a foul. On, on any planet. It's a really good tackle. It's about as much a foul as the McIntyre one was, maybe even less, because he doesn't get the man as well. He literally just gets the ball. And I think, yeah, if uh, if that's been given as a free kick, then 99% of centre-backs currently playing professional football have no future in the game because any tackle they make is going to get given as a free kick. There's no point even trying to win the ball. But yeah, thankfully we didn't get punished for it. But yeah, his positioning was had been good. And I agree with you The in the Oxford game, it was the he sort of didn't really help Riley Towler when Oxford scored in the last minute. It was sort of a combination of the two of them not helping each other out that was the issue. And I mean, Towler got the heat for it, but I don't think Raggett did him any favours. In this game, yeah, Rags was solid and he's just played above the level that I gave him credit for being able to. I mean, none of us have ever said he's a bad player, but, you know, championship chasing top of league one side I wouldn't have said that he would likely be an integral part of a side that does that but he has played above the level that I thought he'd be able to and I'm I'm very pleased to see it and yeah in this game solid you know we, we know what he's getting from in in the air we know what he's going to do and uh, yeah his tackling's been good and he's to be fair to him put a lot of work into his ability on the ball as well I still think he's the weak link in terms of playing out from the bank bank playing out from the back but comparatively from where he came from, you can see that he has improved, which is, you know, testament to him. Talk about the squad depth, and we know how important it's been with the injuries we've had and just having different sort of looks, I suppose, for Messinio to bring off the bench. I thought Sadie did well in this game. He came on and did what we sort of he he did what we sort of were seeing earlier in the season, effectively, didn't he? He comes on, he, he sort of holds the ball up pretty well. 
there's one time leading up to the Bishop goal where he almost has like four players around him. He manages to turn. He wins, wins the free kick against those four players, which leads towards the goal, really. And just before we get on to that goal, Fred, it's, it's important, isn't it, Messina, having these sort of players that can come on and affect the game and maybe have something different, but be effective in, in being different. Oh, absolutely, yeah. Um, the squad depth and having players who can offer those different strengths and different scenarios is highly important. I mean, look at Bishop and Yengi, completely different sorts of strikers. And I know that brings in lots of arguments about which player to start all the time. But having both is brilliant because you can start one of them in a certain scenario looking at a defence. If it doesn't work, you bring on the entire entirely new option. And Sadie was really good in this game. He was able to be physical, put himself about, drag players away out of position and create a lot of space. And he's been doing that incredibly well. I know he's been disappointed with his final third, some of his final third playing, his end products ultimately, but he's added an awful lot there. And considering the injuries that Pompey have had in so many positions of varying lengths of injuries, Sadie is at least a good option to bring on. And he's proven that over the last couple of games. So let's talk about the goal then for Bish. It gets played around, doesn't it? Eventually, Rafty puts a ball into the box. It's a looping ball into the box, isn't it? Let's just hear a little clip from what Matt thought from Elm Park Royals, eh? David Button as well, to his credit, has done a bit better. Um, of late, he was a bit of a car crash, really, for the first um, few months of the season as well. He's not turned into any world beater, don't get me wrong, but you know, at least he isn't dropping the ball at the feet of the strikers every other game, um, which is an improvement. <laughs> that aged like urine left in the sun, that did. Uh, not well, not well at all. Uh, that's probably a weird metaphor, but... Uh, that was a very weird metaphor, but... It's medical, never mind. Yeah, anyway, so yeah, don't, don't pee in a glass and leave it in the sun, it... Unless it goes purple, in which case it's diagnostically useful. But other than that, yeah, don't don't do that. Um, that's yeah, the genius, really... that's the genius fact, isn't it, of the, of the of the podcast? Now that people know, purple pee equals interesting for scientists like Andy. Yeah. I th- oh, what is it? Is it some sort of porphyria that it said? I don't know. I'm asking you. No, no, I don't know. I'm bothering. I think your pee goes purple if you leave it in the sun outside if you've got some sort of acute... Is it intermittent porphyria? I don't know. Anyway. No idea, mate. No, you're asking me... This is what happens on the PO forecast, boys. We we forget what we're talking about. But yeah, really good prediction from Matt. Uh, Nailed it. I sent that back to him earlier on. I think he'd forgotten he said it and he enjoyed the fact that it was possibly the least, you know, accurate prediction of all time on the PO forecast, which is saying something considering the rubbish we come up with on a weekly basis. But yes, it's not good goalkeeping, is it? Uh, every time I see David Barton, it remind he reminds me of Marcus Hanneman, like 2007 Reading keeper. Just because he's bald, has a bit of a beard and plays for Reading. This was quite reminiscent of some of Marcus Hanneman's moments as a Reading goalkeeper. So maybe he's just trying to recreate the Hanneman era. I don't know, but it's a bad mistake, isn't it? I think the three of us are disappointed if we drop that. I know he's under a bit of pressure and probably thinking about if he's landing on the player or not, but... You can't be dropping that. You can't. You can't be dropping that. But it goes to the benefit of Colby Bishop, who's in the right place at the right time. It drops to Bish. And he finishes quite calmly. There's still some players around him. Doesn't panic. And he rolls it into the back of the net. Fred, how do you think, how important is it, again, for Bishop to get a goal in open play 
at Fratton Park. Oh, massive. And he's been under criticism for that for a while now, but I still thought he had a good game in this game, despite not scoring beforehand. And yeah, he was all smiles with the celebration afterwards, which was, which was nice. And yes, I know it came as a result of some wretched goalkeeping, but uh, as he said, he's he was in the right place at the right time in the penalty area. And it wasn't the easiest finish. It wasn't a, a straight tap in. Still had a fair bit to do and hit it on the angle. And yeah, it, some will see it as stat padding, but it adds something extra and it keeps his goal scoring charts going, which is highly important. I don't think we can call that stat padding. If we call that stat padding, then anything you score from within the box is stat padding. Very few goals are unpreventable defensively. Yeah, it's a bad mistake. But if we call that stat padding, then he's never going to score a goal that isn't stat padding. I'm I'm not on board with that. Yeah, no, I'm, I'm a bit more with Andy in this as well. But I think it's an important goal. Just helps as well how well Yangi played in the game before. Having two players, two strikers in confidence, scoring goals is, is what we need at this stage of the season. Yeah, I'm just I'm just happy for Bish to get that goal and we can hopefully they can, he can carry that on. But let's just quickly mention obviously Elliot had a corner for Reading, puts it into the box. The centre backs and Norris sort of get in each other's way. I think that sort of puts him off and the punch isn't that convincing because of that. Which just leaves to Charlie Savage to really just be able to roll it into the back of the net. It's 4 1. It's a consolation. Most of the Reading fans didn't even see the goal, let's be honest, they'd all left, but it's 4-1. Maybe they're a bit disappointed it's not a clean sheet, but at the end of the day, I don't think we care, do we? It's a great win for Pompey. Clinical, attacking great, and also the defence and the midfield just doing so well to to not concede before. So, Anyone got anything to say before I move us on from the Reading game? I'm going to disagree with you slightly on not caring or not being bothered about us conceding because the goal differences are so close at the top. Okay. So our goal, our goal difference is 28, Derby's is 29, Bolton's is 26. And that goal difference is basically an extra point at the end of the season, isn't it? So, I mean, if we don't concede that, we have a level goal difference with Derby in second. And as it is, our goal difference is one less. And it might sound really, really picky, but if we're, I mean, we've got to critique, it It does matter every goal we concede because there's a, looking at how the season's gone, you'd say there's a decent chance it goes down to like 1.2 points or even goal difference. So it's a frustrating one to concede. But overall, as you say, to, to withstand that barrage and not concede first half and then take control of the game like they did second half was was excellent, absolutely. Yeah, it was a bit of a needless goal to give away, but the defence proved itself in all the minutes before that. It was just a, a one-off mistake that can happen to anybody, can't it? Yeah, it can. But Andy, you are right, big picture. I suppose it does make a difference. I was thinking in the isolation of this game, but... In the big picture, yeah. Of course, I mean, yeah. it does have an impact. At the end of the day, you know, you've got a Welsh international. It's a it's a level above anything else on the pitch. So Charlie Savage was always going to score at some point. It's You can't keep a good Welshman down. There's so many jokes I want to say about that, but I'm not. I'm going to move us on as a good host. So <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I'm just setting you up and seeing if you've got the, uh, the ability to resist the temptation. I'm impressed. Good I restraint. Do. I do. I'm going to move it on. Let's go talk about the injury update. Andrew Moon said that Pompey midfielder Tom Lowry hasn't seen a specialist as of yet. More will be known at the weekend, so stay tuned, I suppose. Probably after the game, I suppose. We've seen his post-match show, I reckon. We might know a bit more. Or just after that, I think it's probably when we know more about Tom. But 
Zach Swanson as well should be back in training with the group by the end of the week. Maybe he's an option the week after, I suppose, looking towards Oxford and MPH as well should be available for Saturday. So that gives us another option off the bench or I'm guessing off the bench and maybe we see decides to rotate as well. But yeah, that's the injury update at the moment. Andrew and Stevenson again, as they were, there's no further update from, from Andrew Moon. So obviously Pompey are doing pretty well as we discussed at this moment in time, but, but the Pompey women are also doing very well at this moment in time as well. Andy, give us a quick update. This is becoming a repetitive thing. Where I'm just like, it's another win for the Pompey women. And it is another win for the Pompey women. So taking on Chatham Town or Chatham Town, uh, who are down nearer the bottom of the league. I mean, you mouthing it doesn't help me with the pronunciation because both pronunciations look the same when you mouth them because it's the same letters. But uh, yeah, so after a 5-0 lead at halftime, I mean, the game was never really in the balance. Yeah, Pompey came out with a 7-0 win uh, with two goals from Rowbotham and two goals from Quirk and are now, yeah, still top of the league as they would be. So the games played are a little bit more even now because hashtag United uh, had uh, an Essex Senior Cup game, so it didn't play in the league. So now the top two teams have both played 15 games. Uh, Pompey women are top with 42 points. Hashtag a second with 36 points. But uh, Pompey's goal difference of plus 56 from 15 games. So they're winning each game on average, you know, by just under four goals, which is is just ridiculous, to be honest with you. It's, it's such a, a strong run. Uh, so it's essentially a, a seven-point lead, really, at the top of the league. And uh, yeah, eight games to go. I think it is. No, sorry, seven games to go in the season if they played fifteen. And uh, yeah, it's it's strong. They've they've won I think twelve in a row in the league, and are hopefully on their way to winning the title for that for their division. So it's just excellent to see. It could be a. I mentioned it last week to Freddie. Double promotion party? Are we putting it out there? No, you're shaking your head too early. Have I gone too soon? I'm seeing South Sea Common, two open top buses, men's open top bus, women's open top bus. I'm seeing like trophy of the, the Pompey women accidentally being dropped off the side of the bus. bus. Like, was it Puyol did it for Barcelona a few years ago? Or was it Ajax and they ran it over by accident on the bus? I'm seeing that. I'm seeing Sun on South Sea Common. I'm seeing... Freddie sort of snorkeling in a bowl of pims and I'm I'm just seeing I'm seeing some good times. No, my luck, I'll probably end up working that, but there we are. I wish I was snorkeling in a bottle of in a it's, pims. It's what Henry VIII would have had in mind when he was building his little castles down on South Sea Seafront. He'd have wanted this, you know, what is it, fifteen thirty something that was. So Snorkeling in a load of pins does sound quite tricky though, because of all the fruit floating around, potential danger to the snorkel. You can imagine just snorkeling oh, along and suddenly some fruit goes at the end of it and oh, if there's a blueberry or something and it goes down you could like yeah you could breathe it in by accident and choke that wouldn't be good would it okay scratch snorkeling i mean we dunk freddie in a, a vat of pims and he's got to drink his way out and if he doesn't drink it he'll drown no armbands he can I'm use for that he can use a particularly large cucumber as a float if he needs to <laughs> got a particularly large cucumber as a float, <laughs> brilliant Okay. As I said, I knew you were going to say something like that. <laughs> I don't. I don't even want to imagine the hangover I would have drinking all that pims. God. Well, give it four months, and you might not have to imagine, Fred. Well, yeah. Well, fingers crossed. Eh? Fingers crossed. I mean, 
I don't know what it says about me, but I'm still not speaking, you know what, into existence. It's it's there, obviously, but still got many games left. I thought you were going to say you still don't you still don't drink pims because of something a long time ago. I don't drink this. No, no, I haven't drink pims something in 2011. It's nice, but yeah. Freddie said he's not getting excited yet, and I think that's fine. Keep your feet on the ground. Keep yourself planted. That's what we're doing at this moment in time. But this moves into the listener question at the moment. So we said to you guys, and thanks again, it really, really makes the show. We appreciate everyone who messages in. And we said, can Pompey break the Charlton curse and push on for promotion? Dave Hartley messaged in, and he says, the Reading game shows how far we've come since last season. Oh, sorry, I'm not muted. Sorry, I was shouting at my hamster. Sorry, lads. Sorry, Dave, uh, Andy interrupting your comment there because his hamster once again has got loose and he's invested a better cage. But Dave mentioned it and he says, the Reading game showed how far we've come since last season. As Reading's performance reminded me of Pompey of last season, decent players, playing well, had chances, didn't take them and got punished. I won't be excited until it's near mathematically done. Plenty of time to go. Freddie, there's a kindred soul for you there on how we're feeling about this and do you think it's fair to say that Pompey of old last season could be reflected in Reading I mean and now we're sort of is this different now should we be planting our feet on the ground or can we get excited I mean planting your feet on the ground is a very sensible way of looking at things but you can still get excited about good results and I think we should be with this Reading game because I think last season with last year's team they might have struggled against a Reading side that was so aggressive in the first quarter of an hour and, they, and that side could have easily been 1-2-0 down perhaps and then the game would have gotten away from them and I'm a senior had an unbeaten stretch in that time last season but yeah they, this side have a bit of resilience and a bit of difference about them there's a mixture of the side being better technically more organised but also having a much better character about them if things go wrong there have been very few times this season when the game has gotten away from them very quickly, aside from what, Blackpool at home, perhaps. I think that was the last game where that happened. So yeah, there's something different about this side, and that's why many fans, including myself, are excited about the team without getting overly dramatic and speaking things into existence. Well, it's a balancing act, obviously. Tim Foot messaged it, and he says, yep, I'm feeling really confident right now. I think only injuries can derail things. Keep most of this core group fit and we should be fine. And I don't overly fear Charlton. Andy, stop playing with your hamster, Gida, and get back on the microphone rather than Gida being ready to speak That's into it. That's not a euphemism at all, is it? No, it's not. And what I want to know, mate, is where are we in the sense of injuries derailing the season? Centre midfield, centre back? Are those the two positions that we have to be worried about potentially derailing the, the season? Yeah, I mean, I, I wouldn't go as far as to say worried about derailing the season, but I think in terms of depth, we'd say, yeah, centre-back, I do rate Towler, and I think he has got a decent ceiling, but in terms of game time, we saw in, uh, in the game against Oxford how difficult it is to come on for the last five minutes and then just click into a into a back line. Um, and I don't think it's a position where we have a huge amount of depth compared to where else on the pitch. If everyone was fit, centre-midfield is a position where we potentially have the most depth, but... What we've learned this season is it's really not that easy to keep everyone fit, um, unfortunately. seems to happen every year, but this year does seem to have taken the mick a little bit. So, yeah, I don't think we're a couple of injuries away from an absolute crisis and falling off a cliff. But having said that, if 
let's say Connor Shotmessy and Marlon Pack both pull up against Charlton on Saturday or have some sort of like I don't know I won't go well for me I'll be quite upset so it's it sounds very easy yeah we just need to keep everyone fit but that's that's clearly a lot easier said than done as we've demonstrated over the last three or four months Josh Lishmeshton and he says why am I nervous for Saturday even though I'm not expecting anything it's it's just Cholton isn't it we've all been there we've been watching them the misery of certain performances it's not logical there's no real backing to it it's different players different managers all that malarkey but I suppose it's just one of those human reactions to being a Pompey fan for a while and just thinking it's Charlton. So I suppose that's why Josh, Ollie Joel messaged in. He says, I think if Pompey beat Charlton, I'll start to believe. However, anything can happen and I can't bear to get my heart broken, especially being so close this time. I've got a bad feeling injuries and fatigue will catch up soon. There's always going to be that bad feeling, isn't it? That's why we're sort of, trying to keep our feet on the ground because sometimes you think, is it too good to be true? Can this keep going? That's, I suppose, the feeling of around why people are not overly confident and, well, maybe not overly confident, but still have those niggling doubts. If we did lose a centre-back, I suppose you're going to have to put Conor Ogilvie into the middle and Barks can fit on uh, left-back, move Conor Ogilvie over. And then in centre midfield, I think you're struggling a bit there, especially. I think you're going to have to hope Moxon plays a more defensive role, say, if Pack went down and you have to put one of the more creative players into that role. I don't know if you put, put Harris into, into centre midfield, but you'd have to get quite creative. Zach Swanson can play as a CDM as well in midfield. He did do that for the Arsenal Academy. That is potentially what you'd have to do, but Freddie would really weaken the squad, wouldn't it? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I still can't believe that there have been, well, including Josh Dockrell's six season ending injuries and to happen to for it to happen to key players as well not many sides would be able to keep going as they are with those injuries I think Alex Robertson's was the only one that happened in training so all of them were contacting matches which is quite startling and obviously any further medical crisis would also cause issues especially in certain positions like centre half and centre mid and then you're basically having to have a hodgepodge of a squad together but I think that's why the club recruited heavily in January because they saw that the squad, the side needed that extra bit of creativity and that extra bit of depth in key areas. And yes, Tom McIntyre immediately injured for the season. That was gutting. But the side bounced back from that little blip and was able to move on because the board effectively invested in the side to compensate for the injuries that were lost. So there's not much there's not a lot more that the squad can do now if injuries happen it would just be a continued case of horrendous bad luck so you just fingers crossed it doesn't happen I suppose Adriano messaged and says just want us to get away with the point hate Charlton they always hurt us we need three points one point you know could be okay if other teams slip up but there's no point going for a point. We actually need to get three points in this game to keep up the momentum, to stop teams catching us up. It's, it's just so close at the top, isn't it? The top three in particular. Yeah, three points or bust really for me there. Ryan Meshton, he says, if we break the Charlton curse and the whole city will believe, but typical Pompey could win the league and still not beat Charlton. More importantly though, have a stern word with Freddie. He started singing one, one nil and you fucked it up. 
at the home game against Cambridge in the 60th minute, shortly after MPH scored. We all know what Pompey are like and behaviour like that, Fred, in that scenario is outrageous. One goal up or six goals up. The 60th minute is too soon. You should know better. Freddie, you need to respond to Ryan there. Yeah, I should know better. <laughs> that was the that was the excitement overbearing me at that point. But no, I'm not as calm in the stand as I am sat at my desk. Reach to that. You are a psychopath in the stands at times. That, that, that's an exaggeration. Uh, I'm like many people in the stands where yes, exactly. You get, you get overexcited and you say a load of stupid stuff. I think we do need some sort of you know on the railways. There's like a see it, say it sorted. I think. For Freddie doing anything along those lines, we should have a similar see it, say it sorted line, text line where you can report any misbehavior of that type from Webwatch. Freddie, watch Webwatch. What, what, you Web watch, like crime like watch, for God's sake. I mean, <laughs> I think that's kind of the point, isn't it? <laughs> Just for listeners who don't know, Ryan sits or stands next to me and Freddie, so he, he is an eyewitness to this situation. So, Ryan, I completely agree with you, mate these things happen but freddie promises to do better now here a message in he says if we're looking to continue the f- um, if we're looking to continue to follow the model set out and sell players at the peak for their revenue come the end of the season who will fetch the most also can you see a permanent move for kamara if we go up i really don't want to think about who we're going to sell on i think we'd be trying to keep our best players and add to that and sell off players who maybe aren't quite ready for the championship i think that if that happens and we do get promoted in the summer we can go through the squad and decide where we need to add where we need to strengthen and hopefully keep hold of our best players now the only time that would happen differently i suppose is where someone comes in with a silly offer and then you use that money to reinvest in the squad but at this moment in time i'm not really looking to talk about who's going to fetch the most money in, in until the summer but um, can we see Kamara as a permanent move? I think it'd be quite hard and quite costly. Other championship clubs, it was, it was talked about in January, were already interested in him. Could be a bidding war. And also, I was talking to my friend Sam, who used to coach Kamara when he was, because he, he's a teacher in, in Norwich, effectively. And all the Norwich Academy lads at this point used to go to the same school. So they all they went for this generation. There's actually quite a lot of players there at Norwich who played together who are doing exceptionally well. So I think Norwich will have a feeling of him. He's not just a player they've just sort of trumbled through the academy and not invested in him. They actually invest to send these players to, to a really good school together. And I think Norwich will end up keeping him. And I think they might be losing their right winger as well, potentially. I can't remember who is off the top of my head, but there's talk of them losing their right winger. So I would assume that Norwich will probably want to keep hold of Kamara, especially after the second half of the season. Um, or, well, not the last few months anyway, in particular how he's raised his game. I, I just can't see us being able to prize him out of Norwich, who aren't a poor team, let's be honest. Nigel Rush messages in and he says, God, I hope so. The Charlton hoodoo is as daft as it is inexplicable. I reckon we'll stuff them, however. That's the spirit, Nigel. That's the spirit. A bit of positivity. Dean messages in. He says, great to have a squad where we have two great options up front who offer different things. Win at Cholton. We're going up. Curse broken. Is that what you're saying, Andy? Curse broken. Beat Cholton. That's it. We're, we're, we're going up. I don't really believe in curses. Uh, I got cursed once. Did I tell you that before? No. Where was that? I was in Tanzania 
And there was a, a lady who uh, had psychiatric issues because of uh, having a very, very advanced HIV. Yeah, there was a group of us, like six of us working on the ward she was on. And yeah, she got out of bed and started doing a dance and started cursing us in what I think was Swahili. And the only word I understood was Mzungu, which means like white person, but not in a aff- very offensive way. And yeah, we asked what was going on and she she cursed all of us. So, I mean, and to be fair, things have gone steadily downhill since. So maybe there is something to it. I don't know. But traditionally, I don't really believe in curses. Um, having said that, <laughs> if they do exist, this is certainly one of them. I just can't believe how long it's been since I saw us do particularly well against Charlton. I mean, I remember I'm, I'm still grumpy about uh, Ben Thatcher playing for them in like, what, 2006, 2007, whatever it was. And I was in the Milton end with my dad and their fans were throwing bottles at us. And I was like, oh, I'm 15. I'm going to get glassed here. This is great. Well, they might have been plastic bottles, to be fair. I'm still a bit aggy about that, to be honest with you. So I'm a, I'm a little bit Kevin Keegan- I would love it kind of vibes on it, to be honest with you, purely because they threw bottles at me when, you know, 18 years ago now or something. Akira meshes in and says, Charlton's form has been hot and cold. I actually feel we'll get a result for once and it helps who the manager is. Everyone knows what that means. What do we think about Scummer Jones? Do we actually have a... I'm not going to say affection for him because... We all know he was the manager there, but the fact he did so poorly at Southampton does sort of flip my feelings slightly on the man and find it really hard to hate him as much as I would assume I would for the ex-Southampton manager. Yeah, I mean, firstly, I'm surprised you didn't have anything to say about the fact that I was cursed 12 years ago. I'm surprised there wasn't some sort of comeback on that. But uh, yeah, to follow up, I'm I'm torn on Nathan Jones because, you know, you know, Welsh uniting and all this stuff at the same time i can't really extol his virtues i mean he he didn't like us when he was Luton boss because of what happened with cameron mcgeehan and was very vocal about that so he's not going to get a good reception based off that alone but then he really just did a lot of damage at southampton didn't he and anyone like, he's done more damage than any of us could ever do at southampton and i have a lot of time for that Having said that, I am going to just like every time I see him in a dugout, I am going to boo him. That is just that is my prerogative. That is my want, and I will do so uh, because he has spent more than five minutes in St Mary's, which means that if you step into Fran Park after that, if you've been to St Mary's as anything other than a an away fan, I reserve the right to uh, to boo you for ninety minutes straight. Yeah, do various hand gestures at you, which is what I will do to Nathan Jones for the rest of his career at Frat whenever he comes to Pratt and Park, or we go to his ground. James Mustard and he says, Hi mate, I wanted to get your take on something. If we don't go up this season, do you think we'll be able to keep hold of the majority of our standout players, like Paddy and Colby? Now I said I don't want to talk about players leaving in value, but I think so, unless any silly offers come in. I think this team has been building to get promoted to the championship. I'd like to think that those players will want to, to play for us next season. Now, on the other hand, if a big offer comes in from Leeds or whoever, and just pick them out the top of my off the top of my head, they probably will go. If it's a silly offer, then they'll go. But as I said, hopefully we can just reinvest that money back into the squad and it will, you know, strengthen the team rather than weaken it. 
Alan Ray meshes in and says, if it's a fratum, you find it hard to beat them. We've won a few times at the Valley. It's a, it's a valid point. Is that, is that bad? It's a valid point. Yeah. Okay. No, that is true though. Although Charlton always a bit of a problem. Anthony meshes in, we should be beating them. We're better than them in every area of the pitch. And they've come out of the transfer window considerably weaker than they went in. You never know with football, though. I wouldn't say they've come out weaker. They have lost Blackett Taylor. So that is a big loss to them. But we'll come on to talk about that with Louis in a minute from Charlton Live and whether he thinks the additions and subtractions, I suppose, in, in January are actually weakened the squad overall. Reasonable hounders. I hate predictions, but at least a point. MTFC, Yangi or Bishop? I mean, it's great to have both in the squad, do you say, Fred? Do you think it's either or? Or do you think it's more uh, just think, what the opposition is? Yeah, I think personally for this upcoming game, considering the problems that Charlton's defence have had, I wouldn't mind starting Yangi, purely because whenever he receives the ball, he's able to turn it onto one foot and then dribble a bit and then pass. So that might be able to take a defender away out of a settled back three beforehand. It, it might work out better. I still think Bish will have a good game. But I think personally, when Yengi came in last time, he played really well. And I think having a mobile striker and the front three, which I assume will be Lang, Lane and Kamara, having that unit of four players all, move, all moving for each other, I think that can cause Charlton a lot of problems. Aidan Baker says, it's another game, 12 left. Seven wins and we're up. Champions or not, it ends the isolation from football backwater. No disrespect to the other clubs. Let's hope it happens. All right. Thanks everyone meshed in. We appreciate it. Well, let's move on. We spoke to Louis from Charlton Live to discuss the game against Charlton at the Valley. We spoke about the fact that they have quite a lot of big name players and how the squad seems to be underperforming the players they have. We spoke about the reasons for this, the defence, how they sort of defend as a team, and what to expect generally on the game of Saturday. So here's Louis from Charlton Live. All right, I'm here with Louis from Charlton Live. And Louis, thanks for coming on the show. Uh, cheers to you. How's it going? Yeah, I'm good, thank you, mate. Very good. It's a bit of a daunting fixture for Pompey generally, even though our... Our fortunes are a little bit flipped at the moment, aren't we? With um, Pompey top of the league, you guys falling. But at the end of the day, this is Pompey Charlton. So before we get into the actual game itself, though, could you just explain to Pompey fans who maybe look at your team sheet on paper and think, this is really not a squad that should be struggling. So so why are you? Yeah, I mean, that's a, it's a question we've been asking ourselves a lot, really. Um, we, we've had injury problems, which hasn't helped. So the, the likes of Chooks and EK... Miles Leeburn have, have missed large spells of this uh, of this season for us. Um, we've obviously had uh, some managerial upheaval throughout the campaign as well. We're on to our third manager this season now with, with Nathan Jones taking over from Michael Appleton. Um, we, we've had defensive problems all season as well, which I think I sort of put it down to that's that's the start of it. We, we, we've been consistently bad at the back for a couple of years now and um, you know, no matter how many goals we can score going forward, we, we often seem to at least let one or two in a game. So that's been a problem. We haven't had a clean sheet since about October, 21 games or something along those lines. I think we've got the lowest or joint lowest clean sheets in the league as well, or, or certainly near there or thereabouts. So yeah, we, 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 we struggled defensively. I think a lot of our signings 
uh, on paper probably looked looked better than they were in in the window. It's it's funny if you if you go all the way back to last summer, a lot of people were talking about how we're um we we were probably top six competitors early on in the window, and our business early on suggested we would be like signing the likes of Alfie May. Uh, uh, who has done well? Pan Kamara, who came in on loan, has done it in in this level before, but he's he's been out injured for most of the season. Um, then then we seem to have a bit of a slow rest of the summer window that led to a really bad start to the season. Dean Holden got sacked. Michael Appleton came in. That sort of coincided with us having those big names up front returning as well. The likes of Chooks and Ek and Miles Lebone, I think, were both able to play in his debut or, or there or thereabouts. Uh, Stevenage and um, the second one or two of them gets injured, then then we drop to, to being what we are, you know, a bit bit disorganized defensively and then and then we, we we're not as potent going forward. Especially over the last few weeks, just just until maybe the free free draw with Bolton last time out. Um we were also suffering a bit from the fact that we let uh, our friend and yours, Corey Blackett Taylor go. So I'm I'm sure you guys would be delighted to know that he's no longer playing for us <laughs> because he, he always gave you problems. But he um we sold him to Derby, which at the time we did say it feels like a bit of a risk. Because he's probably our most cre- he was our most creative player since he's gone. Surprise, surprise! We struggled to create a lot of chances, um, and like I say, until the last time out, Nathan's just about managed to get get um, like uh, the likes of Freddie uh, Ladapo firing firing for us the first time since he's coming on loan, uh, and we've just just about refound our scoring touch. But we still can't keep him out of the other end. So even going to to Bolton and scoring three, unfortunately, we couldn't do you guys a favour and hold on for a three point. So, yeah, I can see why people expected us to be better on paper, but hasn't worked out that way for, for numerous reasons. You mentioned the managerial changes there. Obviously, Nathan Jones has come in now, replacing Michael Appleton. Uh, Nathan Jones doesn't really like Pompey fans very much from when he was manager down at Luton called the fan base out at one point for being, I can't remember what the phrase was, it was scummy or something along those lines. He called us after a match, to be fair, was not an unjustified comment uh, after his player had been booed after breaking both le- uh, bones in his lower leg. But um, you're, as part of your role, you you speak to the managers post-game. Um, what are the main differences you're noticing in your interactions between Michael Appleton and Nathan Jones in terms of how they speak about the club, how you feel like they go about their business? Yeah, I mean it's interesting. So obviously, I, 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 I would have would be interested to find out how Michael was with with you guys. Obviously, that was a long time ago. But for us, he he was a bit standoffish, you know, and sort of get get the impression that he found the fan base a bit of a uh, an inconvenience for him. Really, he like didn't he didn't like being asked questions about, you know, if you said oh, a lot of fans are saying why are you playing. League One's top scorer out on the right wing. He, 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 he used to feel a bit like he was offended by that sort of stuff. Nathan, yeah, he was dry as well, Michael Appleton. Nathan, obviously, it's very early days, but he just feels like a completely different kettle of fish. He's, he's energetic. He's um, he's very passionate. He, know, he knows how to play the game a little bit. He, he does have uh, ties with Charlton previously. He was, he was a youth coach for, for about a season or so with us, maybe a decade ago. Um, but Charlton fans always love anyone who's had any sort of connection with the club coming in before because that tends to be when our success has happened you know it's probably a coincidence to an extent but having the fan base on 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 your side helps you think about Chris Powell Lee Bowyer have been our last our last couple of promotions and you're both legendary players for the for the club um so yeah Nathan knows how to speak about the fans he knows how to pump them up he's quite intense um I think he's quite guarded as well with the press um 
I, I think more so probably because of his time at Southampton, where you know, if you I mean, it's only a year ago, you guys probably joined in. To be fair, but he he became a bit of a joke figure amongst Premier League fans um, because because of how badly it went and because of the way he talks about himself. So I do think he sort of reined in a little bit since he's he's come to us. But he, like I say, he knows how to play on the the positivity. He knows he knows how to sort of demand stuff from his players and and bring the fans along for the ride in in these very early days. Yeah, we still haven't won under him. Let's not get carried away. In fact, we've probably. Our first game under him was the game away at Reading where we were dreadful. And and I think, you know, he, he took that as a learning experience, which is a nice way of putting it. We, that's, that's how you found out how bad your, your side can be. Uh, Lincoln was a midweek game at home where we had probably only played well for about half an hour and that coincided with Chuksaniki coming on. Um, and, and then Bolton on Saturday, where it was the first time we've had almost like a, a full 90 minutes performance from him. But as I mentioned, we still were unable to hold on for the win. So... Yeah, he, he he's certainly been a breath of fresh air to talk to compared to Michael Appleton, who was um, ridiculed by by the fan base for being a bit, um, you know, la- la- lacking a bit of emotion and uh, being being quite bland. It's it's a bit strange because I know it's twelve years ago now, but Michael Appleton had a bit of a connection with the Pompey fans. It might have been because the club was in a complete mess at the time and nearly going bust, so there was no expectation whatsoever. Whereas coming to Charlton, obviously trying to revive a side that should be performing better in League One anyway, that might have been a bit different. You mentioned the defence several times and about how leaky it can be. What's the main cause of it? Is it just a personnel thing? Is it is it the setup of the formation not working? What is it? I, I, I wish I could give a clear cut answer on that because Charlton have tried quite a lot of different different ways of, cha- of fixing it recently. So. We we've switched from a, a you know a regulation sort of back four to a back three over the last five or six weeks. It happened towards the end of Michael Appleton's tenure, and we've stuck with it so far. Um, that hasn't really improved us at all. Uh, we've had personnel changes, so you know we had Michael Hector. It's probably like a lot of people would have expected him to be very good at this level, but he's been very hit and miss. Um, he he is prone to the odd massive error like individual error and he's not the only one that's that's been a big part of it for our side a lot of our defenders are prone to big individual errors organizationally we look poor at times you know the, we, we we can be too easy to play in behind especially down the sides that happens a lot uh, we always seem to leave big gaping holes inside our penalty area for strikers to fill that sort of space um, so yeah, it's hard to tell. And like I say, even with personnel, so changing the likes of Heck, who's, who's out injured at the moment, we bring in young players who've done well. We bring in senior players who've, who've done well elsewhere. We signed Macaulay Gillespie from Plymouth, who got promoted from this division last season. E- everyone who comes in has got a mistake in him. So I, I really wish, like, it's like a, it's like there's, there's some sort of a, like a virus going around our defence. No matter who comes into it, they all immediately become infected. And uh, just forget how to defend. So yeah, there's no there's no clear cut answer as to why because it's it's numerous little things that they need tidying up. And as I said, no clean sheets in I think it must be 21 games now. It's genuinely quite embarrassing for a for a side of our apparent ilk in League One. Mm. The signings you talked about bringing in in the most recent transfer window. Then I've seen a, a few. Oh, I've seen two, maybe three of your games in full since you brought in Ladapo. And Connor Coventry, uh, from what I've seen, as soon as they came in, they looked quite leggy, uh, sort of more so than I was expecting. With you know fresh signings coming in, trying to make a new first impression. Uh, are they both 
bit now because Coventry was out for a little while. I don't know if he's back yet. And are you seeing signs from them in the last few games, I guess Ladapo in particular, that maybe that link up with Anike, you could be looking at something a bit more filled with energy than you saw when they first signed for the club? Yeah, I'd, I'd say certainly Ladapo in, in the last couple has improved. So yeah, the first three or four games, he looks well off it, well off the pace. Considering he had been been coming off the bench here and there for Ipswich, I was a bit surprised by how leggy he did look. Um, and then so he was dropped for the game against Lincoln and brought on in the closing stages and actually scored a very good goal from outside outside the area almost immediately after coming on. Um, and then he, he he took that into into Saturday at Bolton. He was alongside, we've got this young striker called Dan Carney, uh, who's just been getting better and better for, for a 19-year-old. And those, those two weren't really getting a lot of change in, in the first half at Bolton, but they were doing all that hard yards and running and all that sort of stuff, which would which you'd hope would tire a, de- a defence. And yeah, that was the first time he looked like he really put a proper shift in um, for us. Yeah, Connor commentary. So he did go out of the side, I think, with concussion. Uh, so he has come back from that. But again, yeah, he... His first appearance was off the bench. Um, I think it was in Michael Appleton's last game against Northampton. And, and he looked okay on the ball. But then after that, again, he was really struggling to make an impact. But Saturday, he seemed he seemed a little bit more involved. This is all the what I think Nathan Jones will be hoping just to try and get somehow more energy into his side. He spoke about how he thought Saturday's performance at Bolton was a more energetic performance. And yeah, I saw Connor. I felt I saw him getting a little bit more involved, and you know, he he comes with quite a bit of pedigree, and obviously you can't judge him after five six games, wherever it has been. We haven't really seen enough of that yet, so I'm I'm hoping though that Saturday was a step in the right direction for him because our our, our January window was being built up to towards ever since the day that Michael Appleton came in the door, which was in September. One of these first press conferences spoke about how the squad needed rebalancing. And then as we were sort of trundling through December and this this winless run was starting, there was a lot of talk, well, let's just get to January sort of still within touching distance of the playoffs and then we'll see. And considering, obviously we were never in touching distance of the playoffs at that point anyway, but considering that was like a big stated aim was to get to January to massively improve us, it actually turned into a huge disappointment that the majority of those players that come in have either looked unfit or just don't have, hadn't appeared to have had the quality yet. Uh, and it certainly didn't improve us immediately to the extent that we were being told it would. Just looking at this sort of, you talk about your defence, individual errors and all that kind of stuff, really. And, you know, part of the reason for you guys not keeping a clean sheet, but you look at how your team's pressing, for instance, and, you know, you've got, if you look at passive defensive action, things like that, you've got Bolton, Reading, Pompey, Derby, Charlton, Peterborough as the the teams that sort of press the highest in the league. And for me, I, I would have thought under Nathan Jones and just the way his teams tend to set up and be very drilled as a unit. And it looks like you're pressing high, but not necessarily being effective in doing that. Is is that a fair sentiment? And, and do you feel that with Nathan Jones coming in, maybe he adds a bit more organisation to that and it sort of shores up the back line by just being more organised and how you win the ball back higher up the pitch? I, have, I haven't seen that yet. For organisation was, I still, I still think we're too we're too easy to play through either on a turnover or or just in in possession for the other side anyway. Um, it's interesting. I didn't know that pressing stat but that, that we're that high up it. Like, because funny enough, at Bolton on Saturday, I thought I saw that for the first time in a while that that we seem to be doing that a bit more. Um, but yeah, I mean, if Nate, if Nathan has got organising a defence in his back pocket, then hopefully this has been the week where he sorted it out because. Um, you know, he came in sort of halfway through a week. Then we've had uh, a 
a, a midweek game, so he hasn't really had a great deal of time on the training ground to really try and drill some of that into his side. So hopefully he will be able to supply that somehow. Whether that means a change in formation or not will remains to be seen because you know there's been a lot of talk about whether our sort of um, our wing backs suit suit the role that we have that. You know, to, to to be that sort of attacking wing back, you need to be able to do the defensive side and the two players we have on either side currently are sort of caught in the middle of not being able to do either. So I wonder if he might change the formation to try and protect the back four a little bit more. Who knows? But yeah, we haven't really massively seen it yet. The fans think that <clears throat> relegation is a distinct possibility for the team, considering they're one point off at the moment but with Charlton, Charlton just behind. Or do they think that with the quality the squad has on paper at the very least that they'll pull it together last minute? I'd, I'd say after Bolton, and, and this is how football fans fluctuate literally after a game, people feel a lot more confident that we're heading in the right direction, but you can't you can't look at that league table and suggest that, that it's not a, a possibility. Um, the, the two sides below us both have two games in hand on us, and they're only one one and two points behind us. Uh, we have a much superior goal difference, which which might help if it, if it comes down to it. But you know we've we've not won in fifteen games, so like all all of us are getting carried away because we had a good a, a good ninety minutes against Bolton against a good side. Um, but you know throughout the season we've we've had a good good performance against you guys down at Fratton Park. You know we, we've had the odd game where we've looked quite good, but clearly there's there's, there's parts of our side that. Are vulnerable, um, and so yeah, I, I think a lot of people, even with even with the slightly more positive feeling of Nathan coming in and then getting a good performance away at um, away at Bolton, are, are realistic in the fact that this this could easily happen to us. It could happen to us as much as it could happen to anyone else. Um, you know, on 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 paper, our, our running isn't the worst out of everyone. Um, I, I was looking at some of these numbers last night, so the average position of opponent we have to play is 13 so we're playing a pretty widespread of, of, of sides we've only got four games against sides in the top eight left which is which we're hoping will play in our favor obviously we're, we're currently in the you guys are the second of a run of the top three we're playing in a row so we're playing derby after we play you guys as well so people are sort of thinking if we can get over that then we've got a lot of games against sides around us where the season now for us will be defined so we're not naive enough to think it can't happen because uh, maybe after the Reading game, I was resigned to it happening because we looked so poor. Um, but certainly, there's still hope that we can get out of it because it's 13 games for a manager to get his message across to the side and not three games. There, there is still time to to turn it around. And on paper, the likes of Anike coming back, Kamara coming back, will will make a massive difference to us. Let's just move on to the game quickly then and sort of wrap this up and just sort of try and move forward. So... What are your feelings approaching the game? Obviously, historically, Charlton are really good against Pompey. And you see it online, Charlton fans. I saw a bit of tongue-in-cheek as well saying, you know, who, what what results are you going to get the next four games? It was like three points against Pompey and that's it. Do you feel confident due to the historic results against Pompey and how it goes this run? Or do you think that's just in the past and it's not going to affect how this game goes? I'd like to think it, it might play a part, but obviously it won't. Uh, <laughs> people have been talking about it on the forum this week and they say no matter how, no matter how good our, um, our record has been against Pompey, this must be the first time we've gone to a game against Pompey 39 points behind them in the table. We're still in February. That's quite, I mean, the 39 points over a course of a season for us sometimes, like, especially in the Prem, that would be that would be plenty for us. 
we're at home, which we're hoping might make a slight difference to us. Although obviously our better performances against you guys come down at Fratton Park, where I've literally never seen us lose. I've only seen us lose to you at home maybe once or twice, though, if that. But yeah, look, people are wary that this is a Portsmouth side who, for some reason, haven't dropped off like they normally do. So I'm guessing, I'm expecting a real tough game for us. But like, you know, anything can happen in League One. Um, we've hope we're hoping that the momentum from the game against Bolton will give us some sort of lift, you know, and Nathan Jones has got the fans on side, which will help. And, you know, maybe that can play a part, but you know, again, I think we're realistic. It, the, the, the us always winning and then now converting to never losing at Fratton Park stat was one of my favorites just because it was just pure coincidence. It doesn't mean anything, does it? The fact, the fact that we won there in 2016 doesn't make any difference to, to a game in, in 2024. So on that basis then, let's wrap this up and I'm going to say, can I get your score prediction please for the game on Saturday and any goal scorers? Uh, well, I, I, I don't like, I'm never going, I'm never going to predict a defeat for us. Uh, I also never predict a clean sheet for us. So I'll, I'll go for maybe a 2-2. Uh, I'd like to see Chucks, Chucks will get one late for us. So Chucks and Nika only, only comes off the bench. That's, that's like the rule. Otherwise he gets injured. So he'll he'll get one nice and late for us. Alfie May is due a goal as well. He hasn't scored. I think he scored one in twelve, one in thirteen, something along those lines. So yeah, I'll say May and Aniki are two are two scorers. You guys, you can take your pick. Any anyone who happens to be standing within thirty yards of one of our defenders. Right. Thanks a lot, Louis. Why don't you tell Pompey fans where they can check out your your content? Because I know Freddie is going to be joining you tomorrow on Charlton Live. Yeah, we're uh, chatting live. Uh, so we're on YouTube. Uh, we'll be live on Thursday evening at seven. Freddie is joining us about half seven, unless there's a, a big natural disaster or, or the Spinnaker Tower blows up in Portsmouth. We've agreed, in which case he can delay his return from work by fifteen minutes. Um, so yeah, that's at seven o'clock tomorrow night on YouTube. Uh, we're on we're on Twitter, uh, just at Charlton Live, Instagram, all that. Um, and then if you're really interested, with I'll, I'll be doing updates of the game on BBC Radio London on Saturday. Uh, if you want to have my uh, unbiased view of, of how the game goes. Well, thanks for coming on, spending your time. We appreciate it. Pompey fans, go check that out tomorrow night. You can find the link and I'll put it in a bio just so you guys can go find it as well. The bottom of the notes page even. It's not a bio. It's the notes page at the bottom of the podcast. But thanks again, Louis. Uh, have a good evening and good luck against Derby. Cheers. Yeah, looking forward to that one. Just, uh, just a side note, I'm not going to that game and it's only the second away game I will miss all season and we've and our only away win was the other one. So, possible three points there. In the bag. Alright, cheers mate. Have a good evening. Cheers. Thanks, Louis, for coming on the podcast. It's interesting, isn't it? Cholton, the team that should be doing better, they're not. Nathan Jones comes in. It's not quite changed it straight away with the manager bounce, but with that game against Bolton, getting that 3-3, do we think there, Freddie, that this could be a that sort of thing that catalysts a, a revival for Cholton? And hopefully it's not in this game against Pompey. I mean, it could be that they've got every reason to feel a bit better about themselves after that result. They've got the new manager, so players will naturally feel like there's a bit of a clean slate now, so there's less baggage. And then they look at that fairly positive result against a side that's more than likely going to get promoted one way or another. There are many positives there, even if it wasn't the three points for them and they let the lead slip. However, 
even with that little bit of galvanization and the massive weight of narrative on this game for many reasons, I think Pompey, sh they should be able to win this game. They should be able to win this game. With Pompey's mo mobile front four, they should be able to exploit Charlton's weaknesses because there's a lot of individual errors there with the formation, even if they change to a back four. And as long as Pompey are able to control the midfield, because I think that's where Charlton's strength is, if they're able to maintain possession in the centre of the pitch and then keep a lot of the play in Charlton's defensive third, Pompey should be fine. Fingers crossed, toes crossed, everything crossed. I think the one thing that they've managed to shore up in the last few games is the conceding late. They went through a stage just before Appleton went of they were just conceding. It was something like seven games out of 10 they conceded after the 85th minute or something. So they conceded like 90 plus something against Bristol Rovers just before New Year's Day. They conceded was it 85th minute against Oxford on New Year's Day. They conceded last minute against Port Vale just following that. And then what happened in, um, it happened to be Appleton's last game in charge where they lost 3-2 at home to Northampton Town and he was sacked about 20 minutes after the final whistle. They conceded last minute in that and I watched that game and you just knew it was coming, uh, that you knew they were going to concede. And it was a similar sort of test as to what they had against Bolton on Saturday just gone. But in the Bolton game, it was three all and Bolton were knocking the door down a little bit in the last 15 minutes, as you'd expect them to, at the Tough Sheet Stadium, which is still the most ridiculous name for a stadium in the country. Absolute just embarrassment. Anyway, Bolton were knocking the door down there, having come back from, what was it, 3-1? or No, they were 2-1 down and 3-2 down, I think, in that game. And Bolton came back to week up and were just pushing for a win with loads of possession, more passes, more shots on target, better pass accuracy, all of this stuff. Charlton, you know, a month ago would have let in a late winner there and lost 4-3, but they held out. I think psychologically for them, that would have been quite a big a big tick box. But they are on just such a knife edge at the moment. They're sort of 90 minutes away from really being confident that they're going to stay up. And they're also 90 minutes away from being fairly certain they're going to go down, I think after the next couple of games. Because, I mean, on points per game, they're in the bottom, in the relegation zone. They're only out of the relegation zone because I think it's Port Vale and Cheltenham below them have played fewer games. So, I mean, and Port Vale look dirt at the moment, if we're being honest, don't they? But, and um, yeah, this isn't the game that's going to decide their season. They've got us in Derby, and then they've got Northampton, Cheltenham, Carlisle, Fleetwood, Wigan, Exeter in a row. That's what decides their season not our game and the Derby game. So I'm hoping that they are looking ahead more than they're looking at this one. I'm hoping against hope and that they take the eye off the ball a little bit. But we, oh, I just hate the Valley. We really haven't had any good times there, have we? Really? It's just no enjoyment, no positive memories. So yeah, time to hopefully get a result. We're due, aren't we? I mean, the last time Pompey beat Charlton was... 2nd of February 2021, 3-1 win. So, fingers crossed that can happen again. All right, boys, let's wrap this up now. This podcast has gone on for a decent amount of time. So, I want to know, Andy Mitchell, your score prediction, please, for the game and any goal scorers. I hate predicting the Charlton games. I'm going to go with the Pompey win because I can't see Charlton keeping a clean sheet, surely. They haven't kept a clean sheet since they last played against us. 
we've had some of their fans coming on to our, our social media a couple of months ago, giving the big and like, oh, I wish we could play you every week. And then, I mean, they need to play us every week because they've not won since then. So, I mean, they've also not kept a clean sheet since then. We've got a score, surely. We can't be the only team that doesn't score against them in 2024. I'll go with a 3-1 Pompey win. I say that with no confidence. This is where we find out if a curse is real or not. If we don't beat them in this game, it'll be another 25 years before we do, as far as I'm concerned. Yeah, 3-1 Pompey, Bishop, Lane, Kamara. Ready, Webb. I'm going to ignore the weight of narrative. I'm going to go with a 2-1 Pompey win. And I've got to go with goals from Owen Moxon to get his first goal. And Abu Kamara, he's going to go from creator to goal scorer. Even though Cholton has scored three in the last game, I'm going to go for a 2-0 Pompey win. Goals from Callum Lang and Abu Kamara. All right. All three of us predicting a win against Cholton. Just we write the podcast up, boys. Let's talk about that Pompey mural. Get out there. Vote if you haven't done it already. It seems that everyone has a different opinion. And for me, a few people messaged in and spoke about it and messaged me about it after your podcast last week, boys. And we said, it seems to be dependent on how old you are, your generation, and who has been the most impactful for you. I've seen some of the younger people listening to the podcast talking about players in sort of the League 2 promotion push and maybe Jamal Lowe, or do you go back to the FA Cup or do you go back further than that? and do you think it's just a case of maybe voting for who's special to you, I suppose? It is such a personal thing. And for me, it comes down to the players that have given me individual moments that I won't ever forget and individual moments that I can watch back and still get chills from. So based off that, there is a bit of recency bias with a couple of them, but I have to go with Jamal Lowe, mostly because of the lob against Sunderland in the Checker Trade final. The, how I felt in that moment and I mean watching it back the camera shake as he's off celebrating and the pre-planned commentary line that was a Peter Drury or someone had obviously written down three days before and decided to try and make sound like they'd made it up on the spot so I'll go with low again for the same reason I'd go I'd bring David Norris on there again biased because he's friend of the pod but I could watch that goal on repeat for days he has his own day he has his own day exactly you can't have a day and not have a place in a mural. For that reason, I'd also bring in Matty Taylor because his goals, it was Everton and Sunderland, he scored those worldly goals against um, from sort of on the half volley and on the volley from 40-something yards out. Other two from the list I'm looking at here. Carnu for the goal, the FA yeah, Cup Yeah, I think you've goal. got to go FA, FA Cup final winning goal. has got to be in there. You've got to go for Carnu. And then... Again, I'm probably too young to really vote for Knightsey, Andy Orford, Guy Whittingham, Alan McLaughlin. I'm I'm too young to vote for them. And then I'd potentially go either Prozanecki or Todorov or Mersin as one one of those, just because technically them alongside Diara are the, the best players I've probably ever seen in a Pompey shirt outside of Honoré, Thierry Honoré, who didn't actually play for us. He just wore one briefly. So that'd be my vote. How about uh, either of you? I'm going for... Paul Benson, Pompey legend, Hawkey ass in goal. Get get him over there as well. Nick Orford. Nick Orford. Yeah, no. I I think it's just such a personal thing and I think everyone's going to have a different opinion, which apparently is why the 
the votes are quite close and there's so, so many out there. We can only pick five, apparently. Maybe they'll extend the wall, but get out there, vote for your people. Uh, we've retweeted it. I also just want to put a quick vote in for having both Michael Doyle and Christian Burgess on the mural, but have them scrapping uh, as they did at half time in that game when we won up from League Two. Was it Crew? Was it that game? What, what game was it? Yeah, Crew. Um, I'd like them both on the mural yelling in each other's faces and fists being aimed at each other. That would be memorable. Do somebody it, me- Somebody mentioned to me we should put Dave Kitson on the wall purely because he hates Pompey, just, just for lols. That was such a weird article he wrote about hiding from Pompey fans. Like, the younger generation genuinely won't recognise him. They'll no. think he's Ryan Taylor. <laughs> I mean, not that you even remembered who Ryan Taylor was when we did the Pompey quiz. Exactly. No, no one cares. It's like that Scrubs quote, you know, like, nobody cares, Sean. Like, that's... No one cares. It's such an odd article he put out. My, my memory of Dave Kitson is Blackpool Way with if Kitson plays a Pompey so could I that is my that is my memory of Dave Kitson no, so my, get my him two, on the wall yeah, literally my two memories of Kitson was getting sent off away at Barnsley where Pompey were awful and lost horrendously and then his only shining moment away at Doncaster where he elbowed the keeper but also bundled it in from a yard when Pompey won 4-3 against them a superb player in every respect now, after this amazing chat about Dave Kitson, get out there, give us five-star review on Spotify, whatever. Apple Podcasts, leave us a review, do us a favour, it helps us with the numbers and all that malarkey. Andy Mitchell, it's been great having you on the podcast. Thank you, pal. Always a pleasure. Love you both very much. Freddie Webb, always a pleasure, mate. Oh, it's been lovely, thank you. And yeah, it's nice to have the podcast back as a trio once again. And until next time, play out Pompey. You have been listening to the PO Forecast for Pompey News Now. Available on SoundCloud, Spotify and Apple Podcasts. Follow PO Forecast and Pompey News Now on Twitter for more information. And there is the full-time whistle!